We bless you and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Morning. Morning. Enjoying the summer change to fall, huh? It's kind of amazing how it happens. It's the time to get in the last minute summer activities, so that's kind of fun. You know, I grew up here in Rapid City and and uh, I always kind of wanted to live in Carriage Hills, which maybe a lot of people did, I don't know. But I just like the, the lots, and I like the trees, and I like the fact that you could kind of be in town, and yet you were still uh, a bit in the country. My parents had a chance to buy a lot there years ago when it was way out in the country, and they didn't. And so Marsha and I got that opportunity, and we bought a house there um, oh, several years ago. And, and we bought it way below the appraised value. It was really a... a a mess. It was kind of a pet. There was like mice in the kitchen and it needed a lot of work. My dad actually fell through part of the deck when we were rebuilding. We had this big deck and, and uh, actually we weren't rebuilding it. Josh was. Josh and Christy had just moved here and they, it was a massive job. But we did that and we kind of turned this house really around and had like cherry floors and Brian ultimately built these cabinets with walnut handles. This is a beautiful place to live. Uh, in our bedroom we had these glass windows without curtains that you could just look over the city and see the lights, see the sun, see the clouds, see the storms coming in, see this. We just loved it, okay? And we always had the family gatherings there. People were always staying with us. The Bible studies were there. It was just kind of a hangout place. And for us, it was just like this, this home. And so there was not a day that didn't go by that I didn't just wake up and thank God. Just we're blessed to live there. Look out our window, blessed to live there, read this, do my Bible study at night, go out on the deck, just blessed to live there, okay? Just thankful. Never wanted to live anywhere else, in the United States, in the Black Hills, anywhere else. We were just home, okay? We just had that sense of home. And we've had nice houses before and now, but there's just something intangible about home that's just really hard to describe. And I know we get to experience that in so many different ways. For some, maybe it's a car that you've always wanted, you know, and you, you finally get this car, and to everybody else, it's just a piece of metal. And, and, but to you, it's like, ah, this is it. This is home, you know. Maybe it's an activity you're involved in, okay? Maybe you're, you're just out hunting, and the sun comes up as you're sitting in the tree stand, and you're just like, ah, this is so great. I don't want to be anywhere else. Or on the golf course, or when you're snowboarding. Right? Maybe it's even a job you love and you just feel like, ah, I'm doing exactly what I want to do. This is just so precious. I'm so blessed. And in those moments, you really don't think about what anybody else has, what they're doing, what you wish you had, what you don't have. It's just those moments are home. And uh, it's more than a feeling, as that, that song that Boston wrote used to say. It's, it's just like this kind of indescribable thing. The psalmist in Psalm 16 says, the line has fallen to me in pleasant places, and my heritage is beautiful to me. And it's like this picture of the way God's designed it even before that. It's like the Lord is my portion. And then he goes and he says, the lines have fallen to me in, in pleasant places. It's beautiful to me. It's like it fits me. It looks good on me. It's comfortable to me. I'm just so blessed here. And the psalmist, he kind of goes on and he says, I'll just bless the Lord. And you get this kind of sense of home. And, and today I want to try and capture and describe really the indescribable. And uh, really try and take on trying to explain the infinite, <laughs> the eternal, the invisible, the supernatural. So it should be pretty easy, right? And, and to really try and capture like these moments of uh, really of home. 
okay, these little, those instances of home that, that's kind of a concept that, that geez, we, we all experience at times that we can't really understand, we can't really explain. And, and so because of that, not only is this concept misunderstood, it's misapplied, it's misused so often. When we think we get it, we haven't got it. And when we get it, we can't grasp it. The concept is grace. You see, when we think we get grace, we haven't got grace. Because when we get grace, we realize we can't fathom grace. We can't get our hands around it. It's like in those moments when you just have this sense of home. You just have this sense of worship, this sense of thankfulness that you just can't even explain. The title of this message is just now Treasure Grace. Treasure Grace. You know, we've been looking at this series of, of things that just really kind of drive us, the, the core values. And it's kind of interesting because when you think about that, you think, oh, this is just kind of basic things, and I don't know how, how, how intense this will be or how deep this will be. Well, I tell you what, it's, it's, it's deep. Because really when you stretch it all out and you strip away everything, the core values determine what you're living for, determine what you're dying for, determine what you're investing your time on this earth for. And, and there's just like this little window we have, so what are we giving it to? And we've seen as a church that we treasure our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We've seen we treasure truth. And we believe the truth is found in the Word of God. We believe the truth ultimately is a person, Jesus Christ, because that's what the Word says. We treasure this whole sense that, that God is the great I Am. That's who He says He is. And that He's alive and that He's living and that He's real and he's, he's, he's relevant to every person because He knows right where everyone is and exactly the questions they're answering what they need. We, we treasure the fact that as we focus on God and we put our eyes on Him, all of a sudden there's this incredible unity and each and every one of us can kind of just do our thing and pursue God and He uses it in an incredible way. And it's an amazing thing. And, and today we're kind of touching on grace and the next we're going to wrap up and we're going to start off into a new uh, series as, as a preaching team. We've recommended several books. I think they're still in the bulletin. Today I would like to just encourage you with My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. It's a little devotional that most of you, many of you have heard of, but it's something that we've just spent the last couple decades every day looking at. And it, that, that little devotional, one page long, kind of forces you back into the, into the Word. So just now if you, you join me in prayer. Father, we come to you and we come as your people. And we come desperate for you. And we come looking forward to our future home and realizing yet you give us these moments of home here on this earth. And so God, I pray right now that you would give each and every one of us in this time a sense of home, a sense of your presence that we can't even describe. And God, I just pray that you would take away everything that's going to distract from each of us and you would speak to us by the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, flip open to the book of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. And uh, in verse 14 of John, chapter 1, John writes, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him, and he cried out and he said, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has higher rank than I, for he existed before me. 
For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through and were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. But he has explained him. You see this word. Jesus says in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. The beginning of John there. Right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. This word is this expression of an idea. But this word really is God expressing himself to how God can live in man. And he did that through his son, Jesus Christ. It's God expressing God. It's an amazing thing. And so what I want, to, what I want you to really think about here is, is just two or three big things. Okay? First of all, realize that Jesus came and that he was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Okay, that's the adjective that described him. Uh, full is, is like um, uh, filled up or complete, you know, it lacks nothing. And then in verse 16 it says, For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And fullness there is the noun that described him. It's that's which has been filled. It's to make full, to make complete. It's, it's like to fill to the top, to overfill. Uh, maybe sit on a suitcase and just cram it full and sit on it to try and close it. That's the idea. And I was trying to capture, you know, in my mind how to describe full to you, okay? And I found this amazing sporting event, which many of us are familiar with, that really kind of is hotly contested. And, uh, and, and according to Wikipedia, it began, some say, in 1916. But it was only sanctioned by the IFOCE since 1997. And it's this, it's this sport that you know, in, in 2011, there was more than 40,000 spectators that viewed the event live, and there was over 2 million people that watched it on ESPN. The Japanese had dominated this event in really the early part of the decade. As a matter of fact, their champion was, was Takaru Kobashashi. I'm not sure I mispronounced that, but, but basically Takaru was the champion, and he won for six straight years, and he, he won this, this, this mustard kind of bejeweled yellow belt that actually was displayed in the Imperial Palace. And so they dominated this event until 2007 when, when the United States uh, brought forth a champion. And I'm sure most of you have heard of him. His name is Joey Chestnut. You guys have heard of Joey? Some of you have, right? Well, he, uh, he, was, he actually in 2007 won the belt, and he's won it every year, okay? Uh, in 2012, he tied a world record, and he won for the sixth straight time the championship. There's been some controversy in the event. Uh, Takaru, the Japanese champion, didn't compete in 2010 and 2011. And he was actually, he's actually the closest competitor. And he didn't complete, uh, compete because he, um, he refused to sign this exclusive contract. And so he stepped out. And actually in 2011, he competed at a different location. And he had judges there and they filmed it. And he claimed that he set the world record and he won, even though it wasn't a sanctioned event. And, of course, as they look back at the videotape, they realized that he didn't win. This incredible sport that captures the idea of fullness is the hot dog eating contest. <laughs> okay? Actually, Joey, won, Joey Chestnut, the world record, 68 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes. Okay? That's full, right? And, and, I mean, it's, it's strictly judged. They have yellow cards for messy eating. Um, you can get disqualified for what's called reversal of fortune. 
<laughs> it's actually sanctioned by an organization called the IFOCE, the International Federation of Competitive Eating. Okay, and you do win this belt, okay? But you get the idea, is the guy who wins and every person who competes, male or female, by the end, is full, right? You're full. That's the idea, okay? Jesus is full, not of hot dogs, which is silly, but he's full of grace. And we are full of grace. We're so full, it's hard to describe. That grace that's revealed in Jesus Christ, he's the channel of God's grace. It's really God revealing God. And, and so this grace, is, it's not a feeling. It's really ultimately grace as a person, Jesus Christ. And we'll come back and look at that. But catch the first, the first idea is Jesus is full of grace and we as believers are full of grace. Okay? And, and, and you see this grace thing and you see this grace and truth side by side right here in Scripture. So often you see it. It's kind of a paradox, but you see this grace and truth side by side. And what I find fascinating is how, is how we all desire truth, right? We desire truth. Um, Jesus Christ really is truth personified. And we looked at that a couple weeks ago. If you really haven't got it, you can get it on rimrockchurch.com or on the CD that just kind of describes what we believe is truth and the word and how it points to, to the person Jesus Christ. And he claimed to be truth. John 14, 6, right? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus Christ is truth personified. Uh, and, and truth is not about what I think is true or even what you think is true. Truth is about what God says is true. Ultimately, that's the source of truth is God. You can't find truth apart from God. What I find interesting, though, is we all desire truth because, you know, we just need it. We know we need it as people. We somehow get the sense that, man, if you have truth, you're set free because I'm living the way I'm supposed to live and I have freedom. So we all are kind of desiring truth. We even swear on the Bible, right, in our courts. What do we swear? I, tell the I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. And, and granted, our world has kind of lost sight of the fact that the Bible is the truth and, and the Bible does point us to Jesus Christ. And we have decided to try and define truths for ourselves, but we can't. Truth is only defined by God. But even with all those things that come into play and all the different truths that we're trying to, 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 to kind of define ourselves, we got to realize that even though we don't look to Jesus Christ as a source of truth as believers and our world doesn't look to Jesus Christ as a source of truth, realize that, that people desire truth. They want truth. And because truth really kind of shows us our lot lines. Truth shows us where we fit. When we figure out what truth is, we figure out where we fit and we figure out the freedom we have. So realize that we all tend, we all tend to desire truth. And what's interesting is truth is side by side with grace. Jesus Christ is full of grace and he's full of truth. And what I find fascinating is we tend to fear grace. Don't we? We fear grace. And it's kind of interesting. Grace is, is charis, that, that it's really the merciful kindness of God to mankind. It's God's favor. It's God's acceptance. Grace is, is his unearned favor. It's, it's really the fact that we have God's loving kindness. There's no repayment possible. There's no way to even, to even consider that. The root is kind of this rejoice is the word. I rejoice. But, but it's scary, this whole concept of grace. It's scary when you think about I have God's kindness and I know myself. I know all the things I've done. I know all the thoughts I have. 
and you have God's kindness and, and beyond that? How about the people in the news that do horrible things? The people that have committed sin against us, they have God's grace? It's a scary thought. And, and the word is like this old Hebrew term which means to bend or to stoop. That's what God has done. It's God's gift, God's grace. And, and we come in and we all know we're not perfect. We all know we mess up. We all have these things in our lives. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have had this certain thing happen to me, right? Or you're thinking, well, I've never really messed up and I'm much better than everybody else I know. Uh, and then guess what? You really messed up because you're dealing with your pride, <laughs> okay? And, and you see, Brendan Manning says, uh, I'm not as bad as you think. I'm worse. I'm not as bad as you think. I'm worse. You see, we feel shame. We feel this sense of really being insufficient and, and defective and somehow unworthy. Uh, we feel like somehow these, these, these lot lines, this place we're given in life just doesn't quite fit us. It doesn't quite look right on us. And we're all of a sudden worried about this. And we start worrying about how we're perceived by others and how we act and how we look and where we live and what we do. And all these things run through our minds and we feel kind of shameful. And we feel guilt. Often it's false guilt. False guilt is just based on a feeling and what I feel is right or wrong. If I've done something I feel is right or wrong, that's false guilt. We feel that though. Or we feel true guilt, which true guilt is really based on the fact that we violated God's word. Okay, we're guilty. And so we kind of hide because of sin in our shame and our guilt. And we almost get this kind of sense of false humility that says, I'm so bad, I'm so lost, I'm so unworthy, I'm so horrible. God is so disappointed in me. And, and when we get those thoughts, we almost pull back from God. We pull back from the source of truth and the source of grace. And, and, and we need to realize that that's not humility. It's pride. It's pride. You see, we're focusing on ourselves. And, and pride is disgusting whether I think I'm great or whether I think I'm horrible. Pride is the sense of me. Humility is my entire dependence on God. I'm not even thinking about me. I'm focused on Him. And when we focus on God, you need to know something. God's not disappointed in you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you've done. He knows all the horrible things you've done. And he's not disappointed because he already knows. Disappointment comes like when you're shocked that something happens, right? You're surprised. God's not surprised. And yet he loves you anyway. Matter of fact, he even likes you. Just the way you are as Tom writes in a song, right? You see, we need to know that God loves us. We need to know that God accepts us so we quit trying to be acceptable to him. And that scares us, right? If we quit trying to impress God, we quit trying to be acceptable to God, we quit trying to earn God's favor, but the truth is we can't anyway, and yet Jesus Christ has, and because Christ lives in us, we have God's favor. We need to get that. We need to rest in that. And it's like truth that that grace leads us to this incredible freedom that's really indescribable. Now, believe me, Satan does not want us free, right? But just imagine how blessed you'd be if you had never sinned. How blessed you would be if you had no shame in your past, you had no guilt. How blessed you would be as if you had kept the law every day, perfectly, Right? You had done exactly what God asked you to do. Every thought, every action, every minute of every day. You had no idols. You had no treasures but God. If you didn't worship yourself, 
If you didn't worship other people, if you didn't worship money, didn't worship stuff, right? If you've never coveted or lusted or lied or just never sinned in any way, imagine the favor you'd have with God. You would be like his prized one and only possession, right? Wouldn't you? Well, you are. You are. Isn't that something that's amazing? See, believers, that's what we have. That's grace. That's that sense that we can have every moment of every day of home when we realize that. We realize that we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We're just at home with God through Christ. And what's fascinating is our enemy, the deceiver, has convinced the church to fear grace. Right? We're afraid of this grace thing. I mean, we think it's okay for salvation. Obviously, you're going to need grace to be okay with God for salvation. And we think it's okay for, like, some of the big sins we've committed. And we think it's okay for just generally all of us to be called Grace Church, right? Or for all of us as a whole to think, oh, we're under God's grace. That's, that's safe. But I tell you what, it's scary to think that the worst that I am, the worst that I've done, the worst that I've thought is all covered by God's grace. It's scary to think the worst that you've done is covered by God's grace. It's scary to think the worst that anyone's done can be covered by God's grace through Jesus Christ and faith in Him. You see, that, that grace is, is, is hard for us to, to, to fathom. We can't get past this, this vulgar, disgusting, filthy sin when we really strip it away. And, and, and if we let this grace thing go too far... We're so afraid it's going to get out of control. And we're just going to go wild in sin. And yet we have the concept backwards. You know, there's an Episcopal priest named Robert Farrar Capon, and he said, what's vulgar is God's grace. What's vulgar is God's grace. You see, we fear grace, but you know the most used phrase in the word, the Bible? Fear not. Fear not. We don't have to fear grace. We don't have to fear taking grace too far. You see, grace doesn't lower the standards of holiness. Grace raises the standard of holiness to perfect Jesus Christ. Grace doesn't encourage sin. Grace empowers believers not to sin. When we're experiencing grace, when we're walking in grace, those are the moments we don't sin. Those are the moments, those precious moments when we're just dependent on the Father, when we get that sense of home. We're not thinking about ourselves or our past or our future. We're just blessed by God to be right here, right now. Religion has taught us that it, it, we're to fear this grace thing because grace leads to licentiousness, right? And, and that's what it ultimately leads. And, and we get that a lot from Jude chapter Jude verse 4, it says, Certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. These are ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. They deny our only Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. They turn the grace of God into licentiousness. And that's our picture of it. But you've got to realize these are ungodly men. They're not believers. They don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. They don't know what grace is, that grace is Jesus Christ. They don't know that. Okay? And they say they're going to turn grace into licentiousness. That word for licentiousness, by the way, is like this unbridled lust or filthiness or indecency. It's just lacking moral restraint. It's just disgusting. But it's not the opposite of grace. It's just sin. 
It's not God's grace taken too far. It's on a whole different plane. It's like you have over here the law, and you have these who are trying to earn God's favor by performing well. And then you have over here license, those who are trying to uh, turn their back on God and perform poorly and say, I don't care, God. And they're on the same plane. You have the law over here trying to perform for God, the license over here trying to turn your back on God. And then you have this concept called grace, which isn't even on this plane. It's like this big circle around it. And God stamps it, and he covers the law and those trying to keep the law, and he covers those who are living in licentiousness. That's what grace is. Jesus Christ is full of grace. It's full of grace. That word there for turn means to transpose. It means to turn two things that are, that are um, opposites, really, or to, or to put one thing in the place of another thing is what it means, to transfer, to alter. It's not like you take this, this law, this, this keeping the rules over here, and then you come along and you get grace, and then, and then you go too far and you get licentiousness. That's not the concept at all, okay? The concept is grace is on a different plane. And you see, God's grace is not what's called cheap grace. Cheap grace, uh, Swindoll defines as cheap grace justifies the sin, not the sinner. You see, cheap grace is justifying the sin. It's saying it's okay to sin. Okay? It's not okay to sin. All sin is disgusting to God. Every single one of our sins are just as disgusting as everybody else's sins. It's horrible sin is disgusting grace does not justify sin grace justifies the sinner justifies the sinner and makes the sinner all right it's an amazing picture when you think about it. it's not cheap it costs god his son again manning said he'd rather die than be without me have you ever thought that god would rather die than be without you that's grace you see, we have to risk living in grace. Otherwise, we're always living under trying to keep some certain set of rules. To live by faith, we have to pursue grace. We have to go all in. That's what God has called us as a body of believers to do, to live in grace. Gordon McDonald says this way. He says, you don't have to be a Christian to build houses. You don't have to be a Christian to feed the hungry. You don't have to be a Christian even to heal the sick. But there's only one thing in the world, there's only one thing that the world cannot offer. That's grace. You see, the people of this world desperately need grace. And when you can't figure out the tough stuff of life, when you're going through those dark times that are just horrible, when everything's not going your way, when you realize that you're really not as great as you think you are, when you realize that you have to deal with sin and your sin and other people's sin and pain and hurt and ache, it's in that dark that we discover God's grace. You know, to experience God's grace, we have to be broke and know it. Our world shouts to us to take and trade God's grace for power, to try and get political power instead of grace to try and get financial power instead of grace, to try and get intellectual power or physical power. But Yancey says the message of grace is not communicated from the corridors of power. Jesus said to Paul, what? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. See, it's through our weakness that the power of Christ shines. And God has chosen his instruments of grace. 
You. You, the believers of Jesus Christ. You're his choice to show his grace to this world that's desperately seeking it. When we're walking in grace, we're filled with Jesus Christ. Now just catch this here as we, as we kind of land. There's just a couple more minutes here. But, but in the book of Titus chapter 2, there's a verse in there. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 that says this. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. We saw that Jesus Christ is full of truth and he's truth personified. Jesus Christ is full of grace and he is grace personified. You see, grace is a person. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. Salvation, God's favor, God's grace, and, and it's been brought to all men. It's, it's, everyone has this opportunity to have salvation by responding by faith. And Ryrie calls it the lavish gift of God in the person of his son is the particularly New Testament meaning of grace. It's God's grace. It's like ultimately the person, Jesus Christ, he appeared full of grace. We received him full of grace. We live and depend on him. We're full of grace. We surrender to him. We're full of grace. As we abide in him, we're full of grace. And, and he goes on and he says, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. He instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly. Why? Because we're full of grace. Live righteously and godly in this present age. Why? Because we're full of grace. Look for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us that, we might, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession. You see, we are full of grace. And so, as we land, I just want you to ask yourself, so what? How does this apply to my life? How do we experience that sense of home, sense of just being blessed? And when we consider Jesus Christ, we consider grace. And his grace shouts to us that God loves you. And you know, you can't do anything to make him love you more. And you can't make anything to love you less. Just consider that. He loves you just the way you are. Let's just take a few seconds here and just think to yourself that God loves me now, just the way I am.